Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Three Key Legal Steps to Structuring Your Business for Success, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest. Catherine Graham is the founder of the Financial Aid Shop and creator of the Financial Aid Formula, winning strategies from grade school to graduation, a comprehensive online education program designed for parents with children planning on college. Catherine has worked 30-plus years in the University Financial Aid Administration, delivering over $3 billion in financial aid to thousands of students. In 2015, she launched her own financial aid consulting firm, providing coaching and professional development to financial aid professionals across the country. Catherine holds a BS degree from the University of Redlands and a Master's in Public Administration from USC. She's a member of the National Association of Financial Aid Administrators, Western Association of College Admission Counselors, and is chairwoman of the South Bay Business Women's Association Scholarship Committee. Catherine is an advocate for foster youth and is a former Los Angeles County foster parent. So Catherine, welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to be here. Well, this is a fabulous topic that we can be sharing. I know a lot of times people think financial aid is more just on the personal side, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening to the show, um, but obviously entrepreneurs have kids that are going to college too and need to understand financial aid, so I thought this would be a great topic to share with listeners. So I would like you to give us first a little bit of background on yourself. I gave a very small snippet, but a little background on yourself and how you got involved in educating families about the financial aid process. Well, certainly. So my experience working in this college financial aid space began while I was actually a college student myself. I started at the University of Redlands giving campus tours and hosting students overnight. And at that point, upon graduation, I thought this financial aid business seemed interesting, so I started working for colleges and universities in both admissions and financial aid. After 30 years of working for mostly private colleges and universities, particularly in California, both small and very large, I decided it was time for me to take all of that experience and share it with families to give them an easier way to learn about college financial aid educate them about the vocabulary and the forms and the entire process to reduce their stress and help them feel more, families feel more empowered through the entire college financial aid experience, both applying for admission, applying for financial aid. I really think that families need an easier way to learn financial aid. So I launched the financial aid shop and my online program, the financial aid formula. 
And I, that's going to be super helpful for families as well. I know my daughter now has graduated. It's been five years now too. But I remember when we were going through that, you know, time of figuring out what to do. And I was like, what's a FAFSA form and what do I have to do? Right. So I know that it will be really helpful for parents to have that information. So when you said vocabulary too, I would love to define a few terms that we will be using today in our chat. So can you explain what the acronyms FAFSA EFC and SAR mean? Sure. So the, the FAFSA stands for the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. And it is the basic core application for every family in the country to complete if they would like to receive federal, state, and for the most part, college financial aid from the schools that they are interested in exploring. The FAFSA is available at fafsa.ed.gov. And it is an application that students have to complete, every, students and parents have to complete every single year. And right now, for the 1920 financial aid year, it's not too late to apply for financial aid, whether it be for this fall and for the upcoming spring term in 2020. But the FAFSA application for our most current cycle, the 19, I'm sorry, the 2021 cycle, became available on October 1st. And families looking at starting college in 2021, the fall of 20, should get their FAFSA in as soon as possible. So that is the free application for federal student aid, and it's a form provided by the federal government. Once the student and parent complete their FAFSA online, they're going to get a student aid report. And a student aid report is basically a mirror of the information that they completed on the FAFSA application. And On the student aid report, it will give them three important pieces of information. It will tell them whether or not they've been selected for verification by the federal government. And this is really important to know because if the student and parent are selected for verification, there will be some follow-up steps. But nobody needs to panic. It's just to confirm that the information that they provided on their FAFSA is accurate. And most schools will walk you through that process, so that's nothing really to worry about. But that notation of being selected for verification will be communicated clearly on the student aid report. The second thing that the student aid report will also tell you if there were errors on your application that need to be corrected or omissions that were made. One of the most common mistakes that families make is in that they provide or the students provide an incorrect Social Security number or their incorrect name. So, Candy, let me give you an example. So, if your first name is officially Candace Mether, you would complete your application with your full name, not using the abbreviation of Candy. So, it's right. important when students fill out the FAFSA that they use the, their name and their social security number taken exactly as it's provided on the FAFSA. The third thing that the family will get from completing the FAFSA is a term called the EFC. And that is called the Expected Family Contribution. And it is compiled from a series of methodologies that will um, tell the family what the federal government thinks that they can afford to pay for their son or daughter's education for the first year. Now, this EFC is really just a marker or an, an, an indicator. It does not necessarily mean that that's exactly how much a family would pay. A family with a very high expected family contribution might pay actually less than that contribution because of uh, the receiving of grants and scholarships from the college or university. 
And in reverse, if the family has a very low expected family contribution, they might actually have to pay more. But the EFC is a way for families to get an idea of what the federal government thinks that they can afford to pay for their college education. And one of the tools that I wanted to share with your listeners is that families don't have to wait until the senior year to complete the FAFSA to get this expected family contribution. There's a tool out there provided by the federal government called the FAFSA Forecaster. That's F-A-F-S-A number four, CASTER, C-A-S-T-E-R. And families can go in and and include or complete the FAFSA Forecaster with all of their income and asset information as of today, and it will tell the family what their expected family contribution is. So if our listeners have an 8th grader or an 11th grader or two twins in 5th grade, they could go into the FAFSA forecaster tonight, and it will, the FAFSA forecaster will tell them what the expected family contribution will be. And this is a really powerful planning tool. That's great. Well, and I know you just said, you know, they can be even earlier than high school. So you're advocating all the way back to as early as even eighth grade for this financial planning. So why is that so important to go that young? Well, I think it's really important that families begin this conversation early for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm going to quickly run through seven, and I'm going to start with academic planning. One of the reasons why I wanted to launch the financial aid formula and am doing this work is to give families an understanding of how important it is to really know before the senior year in high school. Families do not need to wait before the senior year, and when they know this, they can start thinking differently. I'm really trying to change the way families think about and plan for college, and the first step really is with academic planning. So financial aid and merit scholarships, those are free money that comes from the colleges and universities based on the student's academic performance, are based on the high school grades. But we want students to not only do well in college, but we also want them to align their skill sets and interests with the degrees and majors that are out there. It doesn't make sense, for example, for a student who says, I want to be a psychologist, to not be very good at math. When you Mm -hmm. go to school, when a student goes to college and and is studying psychology, they will be taking a lot of math. So if your listener's son or daughter says, I really want to be a chemist, are they are their skills in alignment with chemistry, with math, with the sciences, with the STEM? So academic planning has to start at eighth grade or even sooner so that when the student is in high school, they're taking the right courses that will prepare them not only for, um, for college but for their degree after graduation because the ultimate goal, hopefully, will be once the student goes to college, they will be participating in employment that is exciting to them and they'll be making a living and able to support themselves and their family. So the first thing is really aligning the skill sets of, of the student with their high school and middle school course curriculums and ultimately to start a major and finish a major at the school that they're attending to subsequently embark on a career path that excites them. The mm-hmm. second thing that's really important and why families should start this process as early as eighth grade is to manage expectations. 
Um, Candy, I, I have a story I want to share about a, a parent that went to the college and career center on their college campus. And the dad was very, very upset because he had spent his whole time expecting that his daughter was going to get into school X and that he was going to be able to afford it. Well, what happened was that his daughter didn't get into the school and once he did a little bit more research and we spent some time talking about it, it wasn't really an affordable option. So one mm. of the things that is important about managing expectations is that the student and parent can see what the GPA and SAT requirements are for the different colleges throughout the country so that they can manage that expectation. If the student is thinking that they want to go to, say, a very private um, a strong academic Ivy League school, but they don't have the GPA, it doesn't make sense to put that out there as the primary and only goal. So managing expectations about the different requirements for admissions can be found, I'm going to give a, a link here, at bigfuture.collegeboard.org. And on this Big Future website, parents and our listeners can go on to Big Future and type in any school in the country and see what the GPA requirements are see what the essay requirements are, see what the SAT or ACT scores are so that they can align the student's academic success or lack thereof with the expectations um, outlined by the colleges and universities. So managing expectations from the financial aid shop's perspective is really making sure that the family's goals to where they want their kid to go and whether or not they will get in and can afford it is really important. So bigfuture.collegeboard.org is a super important tool. The other thing that families can know as soon as eighth grade is, or even before, as I've already mentioned, is the FAFSA forecaster. If families know what the federal government thinks that they can pay, that can really help them plan for the future. It can help them navigate uh, their, their savings, it can help them navigate their retirement contributions, it can help them navigating uh, their tax and um, uh, financial planning as business owners. One of the tools that's really important that's out there that families don't know about is that um, your listeners, Candy, could go to uh, a, any college in the country and go to what's called the Net Price Calculator. And this is a tool that is offered on every college's website in the country. And when the families go, go to the net price calculator, whether it be a public school or a private school, a state school or a community college, they can enter in the very similar information that they would enter into the FAFSA forecaster or the FAFSA. And the net price calculator will provide the family with the grants and scholarships that the student would be eligible for it will also offer them the loans that they will be eligible for and student employment. And the grants and scholarships work and loans that will be generated from the net price calculator outline the sources of financial aid from both the state and federal government and from the institution. So a family with an 8th grader and a family with a, a, an 11th grader in high school could go into the, to the net price calculator at any college um, in the country, go to the financial aid website, type in net price calculator, and families can know today what college costs would look like. 
And this is a very, very powerful planning tool. Now, the caveat here is that every college in the country is going to say, this is just an estimate, and it is Mm -hmm. true. But colleges and universities are required to be as accurate as possible in providing their estimates. So I love the net price calculator. It can help with any college in the country, and so many families don't know about this. Very, very powerful tool. I mentioned that um, tax planning for business owners is very, very important. One of the important publications that I'd like to share with your listeners, in particular on tax planning, is IRS Publication 970. Candy, this is a publication that will provide all of the tax benefits that come with having a student in college. So uh, there are several tax benefits, and perhaps we'll be talking about those in a little bit. But when it's time to think about actually completing the FAFSA, you complete that in the student's senior year. And the reason why tax planning is so important is that families have to complete the FAFSA against the tax return that was completed two years prior. So let me Mm -hmm. give you an example. So if, a, if one of your listeners is applying for financial aid for the 2021 financial aid cycle, which just opened up on October 1st, they're going to be completing the FAFSA against their 2018 tax returns. So the family who's looking for financial aid for college that starts in September of 2020, they're going to be using the tax return from two years ago. This is called prior, prior year. So you can't just wait until the senior year in high school to get your tax records in a row. You can't wait until the senior year to make decisions on how you're going to juggle or manage your income and assets. It really has to be done three years prior to the year for which you're going to be completing the FAFSA, which is typically the senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense, Candy? It does. I remember all of those gathering all that information, too. So I'm actually going to go to a break right now, and we're going to continue these tips when we come back on where, you know, these things that we need to know on the financial age education. So please keep listening to us on Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. 
Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Catherine Graham told us about her background and how she got into assisting families with the financial aid process. And we started talking about some reasons why the education is so important. And we have a few more things to cover on why this financial aid education is so important. So, Catherine, I know we left off uh, with the kind of the tax and financial planning for business owners and parents. Um, can you fill us in on the few other tips you have? Sure. So uh, right before the break, we were talking about tax planning for business owners, and I just wanted to just provide one more really important tip for our business owners is that when families complete the FAFSA, if you have a business with less than 100 employees, your business assets are not reported at all. So this should be a relief to those of you that um, have uh, businesses are depending on your business for your income, but might also have assets. None of your business assets will be counted when you apply for financial aid. So that is very, very good news. Mm -hmm. So the other reason why it's important to start this planning early, and I'm sure all of the listeners are aware of this $1.5 trillion student loan debt we have in our country, our borrowers, our student borrowers, are, have borrowed approximately $30,000 and are paying mm-hmm. back on average about $393 a month. This mm-hmm. is a huge debt problem that we have in our country. It's impacting our students and our parents. Our young students are not moving out of the house. They're delaying marriage. They're de- delaying um, putting money into retirement. They're not able to be consumers and buying uh, homes. So it's really important that when thinking about college and exploring colleges and college costs, that we're looking at affordability not just for the first year, second, third, and fourth year, but we're looking at student loan debt for the time it takes the student to repay back their loan. A typical loan repayment period is 10 years, but the Mm -hmm. federal government does also provide some extended repayment programs up to 25 years. The good news also is that these repayment programs can also be um, scaled and will increase as the student's income 
increases as after they graduate from college and get into the workforce. But what we teach in the financial aid formula is that we have to look at debt for not just the student's perspective, but also from the parent's perspective. More and more parents are borrowing every single year. Approximately 14% of parents in our country are borrowing parent plus loans and have borrowed to the tune of $35,600. And we really want to make sure that our parents are not borrowing more than they can afford. What we're finding Mm -hmm. is our parents are having debt way into their 70s. And what we want to do is eliminate that. We want students to really make smart college choices, not only on their academics, but choosing a college that a student can afford and that the parents can afford. And there's a tool out there offered by the federal government called studentloans.gov where a parent can go in and play around and see what is available um, for the students to borrow, not just for the first year, but for all four years, and also what repayment looks like. That can be determined for both the student loan and for the parent loan, which is called the Parent PLUS loan. The Parent PLUS loan is an excellent opportunity. There are some fees associated with the Parent PLUS loan, but it would be an option for a parent who wants to assist their son or daughter with their educational expenses, but might not have the cash out of pocket. But again, we don't want either the parent or the student to borrow anything more than they can afford and that makes sense and is also in alignment with their income that they'll be earning after graduation. Right. So you might be asking, your listeners might be saying, well, how do we know what their income will be after they graduate? Well, I want to introduce your listeners to a tool called the College Scorecard. This is a place where both student and parent can learn about any college in the country and get what the student's average salary is at that institution after graduation. Mm. The college scorecard will also assist the listener in learning what the average student loan debt is for each of the borrowers at that school and what percentage of those borrowers are actually paying um, their student loan back. Three really important indicators that your listener, a family, should be considering when they're exploring the colleges that they're looking at. These are called college outcomes, and we talk about outcomes a lot in the financial aid formula because it's important to know about the experiences of the students attending the schools um, before uh, our children go to college. The other thing that is really important that a family can learn in the college scorecard above and beyond salaries and um, student loan debt and loan repayment is the graduation rates. And why it's so important to understand the graduation rates at the college is that many families are working under the premise that a student will graduate in four, in four years, typically eight semesters. But that's actually not happening as regularly as one would think. Uh, it's taking five, six, seven, and eight years now for students to graduate just with their undergraduate degree. So wow. a family a listener <laughs> can go to college scorecard and see what the graduation rates are. So if you're planning on your son or daughter graduating in four years, but the data says that only 25% of the students graduate in four years, that's an important marker because if it does take a fifth semester or a sixth or seventh year, perhaps that would also um, require additional student loan debt, not only for the student, but for the parent. It will delay getting a job, and all of the things that we would hope for for a student that would graduate earlier. So 
exploring graduation rates are super important, and that can be found at the college scorecard. At the end of the day, Candy, I really believe through the time I've spent working at colleges and universities and supporting families that a family should and can know everything that they need to know about their financial aid eligibility, have the vocabulary, understand the differences between grants and scholarship and how financial aid is is determined, and all of these things that I described. I know we've talked about a lot, but it's really Mm -hmm. critical to help families navigate the system and really select a college that they can afford. Financial aid is so much more than just completing the FAFSA, and I hope that I've provided the listeners with some helpful tips and some websites that can help them understand um, what they need to do to um, start their their college education, their financial aid literacy um, experience. Well, you definitely gave quite a few different links and, you know, great websites to check out for information and I'm sure it still probably feels overwhelming for those who haven't even started the process yet but it's you know great resources that you've provided Um, but as we were talking to saying we want to help entrepreneurs really start to navigate through this and figure out some strategies that can help them with planning Mm -hmm. for that financial aid and so first of all what are the tools that are available for an entrepreneur to actually understand this financial aid process? Well, first and foremost, I would like to recommend uh, my online program, The Financial Aid Formula, Winning Strategies from Grade School to Graduation. We start by talking with families um, to help them navigate conversations with their own kids about money, about their entrepreneurial spirit, and help them think about their majors and the things that we've already talked about in the first couple of minutes of the show. You can go on to the – you can Google and come up with millions and millions of um, links that will take you to thousands and thousands of different conversations about financial aid. And one of the things I think is really hard for families to navigate this process is really knowing what question to ask. One question leads to another and to another mm-hmm. and to another. So the financial aid formula that I put together online puts this entire process in context in a very easy-to-understand um, format. It's... Um, It's a huge amount of content, but it is so important. And one of the things that I like about it is that it also provides families with tools to help them keep financial aid in college. Mm -hmm. But for entrepreneurs, I think really the first thing is understanding how business assets are included or not included, and we've talked a little bit about that. But for the entrepreneur that has income ebbs and flows, there are some things that families need to understand in terms of they can appeal for financial aid, and that's one of the things I don't think families are aware of. If, a, if one of your, if you, if you're a business owner and your income was less in 2018 than it will be in 2019, families can an appeal for additional financial aid, and perhaps mm-hmm. we can chat more about that appeal process later on in the process. <laughs> that sounds great. So, I I mean, again, I've been there. It's been a while, but I remember feeling that overwhelm and not knowing what to do. And, you know, do you open an account, you know, for your child or do you keep, you know, everything in your own name? So what do you recommend then for someone who wants to save college? Should it be in their children's names? Should it be in their names? Like, what do you recommend? Well, I think every family should be saving for college. And the most important thing that it is, any savings is put into a protected savings vehicle. And by that, I mean a 
529 plan, uh, basically a 529 plan. And why, why savings is so important, families often say, well, if I save money, I'm going to get less financial aid. At the end of the day, Candy, a family that saves is in better shape than a family that doesn't save. Mm-hmm. So whether the family does a 529 plan, um, you can put it in the child's name or in the parent's name, but when you report the asset on the FAFSA application, you report it in the parent's name. Okay. So I typically recommend that the 529 plan be in the parent name, but okay. either way, if it's in the student name or the parent name, you only report it as an asset on the parent side of the house. Okay. That's a great tip. Like I said, I, d- I don't remember all the stats. I do remember having to fill out something for my daughter, and I do remember having to fill out for myself. I didn't remember what was reported on which one. And again, it does feel confusing sometimes going through all mm-hmm. of that. But mm-hmm. So some parents, of course, you did mention a lot of you know parents that are you know, going into debt or things of themselves too. I don't think we really touched on yet pulling money out of retirement accounts to help, you know, children pay for college. Uh, I know I have my opinion on what should happen in that way, but what do you recommend? Do you recommend doing that or having some other types of funding for the, you know, the student loans? I would recommend that a family, a parent, never withdraw from their retirement account to assist with their children paying for college. Hmm. I agree. Do we agree? Okay, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's good news that we agree on that. Yes, besides the fact that there are penalties from um, extracting your retirement, as, as you know and I know, families can't borrow for their retirement, but they can, in fact, borrow for their child's education. But right. again, getting back to that Parent PLUS loan as one option, Families really need to be careful and only borrow what they can pay back. It would be a shame to see our our parents defaulting on their student loans and um, not being able to have their purchasing power that they would need or borrowing power that they might need for other areas um, in their life as they move into retirement. So absolutely not. Families should Mm -hmm. see if they can save money in a 529 or another protected college savings vehicle. Uh, and really stay away from that. I remember, too, when I was filling out forms, and I don't even remember if it was the same kind of thing FAFSA way back then because it's, you know, 30 years ago or something that I was Uh having to apply. But I remember I was working a part-time job in, you know, high school and I had filled out the forms and they're like oh you earned maybe I earned like 4,000 or 6,000 total for the year or something and they're like oh you could Uh pay that full amount to your financial, you know, costs for college and then they said oh your parents own a home they could take a second mortgage out on their home and help pay and I was like I'm not going to ask my parents to take out a second on their home and you know go into more debt for me and so I personally just selected to go to junior college locally for two years and then the local you know state university and then I worked through college and paid my way so I didn't end up with any debt I know a lot of people can't do that but I think just when they look at the numbers and expect, you know, to be able to get a lot of aid and, you know, I'm just going to help my kid. It's like, really, just think about your future in the long run, because do you want to have that, you know, extra, you know, lean on your home or do you want to have, you know, it's like, think about your future because you're not going to have money when you're older. Yeah. Yeah. And it's both the parent and the student future because more and more families are borrowing uh, than Mm -hmm. ever before. And um, that's, 
what's so important about having the, the, those two tools, the FAFSA forecaster and the net price calculator, families do not need to wait until senior year to have this information so that they can really start planning, whether it be through savings or perhaps making more money or even less money uh, the three years prior to completing the FAFSA application. Right. And I think my perspective on this too, and, you know, people may have a different perspective than me, but it's not going to hurt you to not go to like the big school that you're going to end up with a huge amount of debt. You know, I got my degree, I've done well, you know, and I didn't, I didn't go to, you know, those top schools. I didn't go to Ivy League school. I, you know, like I said, I went to a state school, but I got my degree and I was able to be hired with the information that I had learned. And so I think sometimes when you talked about managing expectations also earlier, I think one of the expectations that we really need to look at too is do we have to go to the most expensive schools and end up with that? Maybe for some, like if you want to be in politics or, you know, a, a great attorney or something, I mean, maybe so, but a lot of them, you could just go to your two-year school and then go to a four-year school and get your degree and still do okay. Yeah, I think, Candy, that's really great, and I'm glad you brought that up. One of the things that I think is important is that when a student exploring or the families are considering the the two-year community college path is that there really has to be a plan. You can't just go to the community college and expect to get in and out in two years and move to a four-year institution. You Families can get caught. Uh, I want to share a story. I've got a, a girlfriend who has a, uh, uh, she's 20 years old now. She's been at the community college for two and a half years and it just got really easy for her. Her parents are paying her rent and her phone bill and her car insurance. And She started out as a full-time student, but then she was bored so she got a job and now she's working mm-hmm. half-time and she's got a boyfriend now and Slowly but surely, she's not in school full-time anymore. She's not in school three-quarter time. She's down to one class a semester because (laughs) she didn't have a plan to get in and out very, very quickly. So the community college plan is great if you have a plan. And Mm -hmm. then you also need to know what the next step is before you even start the community college. You need to know what the admission rates are to the four years from the community college, from what is the transfer plan? Are you looking, so if you're going to start at the local community college, what six or seven schools are you going to be transferring in into? So community college is great, but you have to not only have the, the commitment to complete quickly, but to know where you're going to be transferring before you even right. start the community college path. And that exactly. data, again, can be found at the college scorecard where you can look at the graduation rate, the navigator, college navigator, the tools that I've provided can really help families see that path from the community college to the four-year. Yep. Well, believe it or not, it's actually time to take another quick break. Uh, So be sure to hang around to hear more from Catherine Graham of the Financial Aid Shop about the financial aid process and some strategies that we can implement. We'll be right back after a brief commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, affordable bookkeeping and payroll services is here to help. 
We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Today I'm chatting with Catherine Graham of the Financial Aid Shop. So let's find a bit more information from Catherine on what can be done to help plan for the cost of college. So we were talking, Catherine, before this break, too, a little bit about what would be included for income and what would not be included. So can we just touch a little bit more on the types of income and assets that are included on the FAFSA? And can anything be done to reduce the value that would be calculated? Sure. I'm going to go ahead and start with the affirmative. I'm going to start with what income is reported on the FAFSA. And in general, it is the income that's reported on the federal income tax return. So basically, that would be your adjusted gross income. And for 2018, that would be, if you were a 1040 long-form filer, that would be line 7. So it's, in essence, the adjusted gross income that a family would report. That it would be the taxable income. The FAFSA also asks, for wages from work from both the parent and uh, parent one and parent two, assuming both parents are working, mother, father, step-parent. And um, that would be the wages that you would get, have um, from your Schedule C as well. So both wages uh, from um, employer and self-employment wages reported on the 1040 would be reported. There's also some untaxed income that is also asked for, and that would be any payments to tax-deferred pensions or retirement savings plans that you withheld from your earnings. So that would be what you would be reporting if you were a corporation and paying yourself a wage. Any uh, contributions that you're making or payments to your retirement um, from the W-2 
um, form box boxes 12A through 12D. Um, but you do not report the value of your retirement. The untaxed component that I'm talking about is just the contributions that you make towards your retirement. So income, in essence, is the taxable income on your tax returns, and untaxable would be any contributions that you make towards your retirement. It's easier to talk about the assets that are not counted when you complete the FAFSA. As I've already mentioned, as a business owner, you do not need to report the value of your business as long as there are less than 100 employees. The other good news, Candy, you mentioned reporting home equity uh, mm-hmm. a long time ago. Uh, yes. I remember those days as well. But in current, current years, families are no longer required to report their home equity on the FAFSA. So while the FAFSA does ask for assets, it's very clear you never report the value of your primary residence. Oh, now, that's good. business owners... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's good because that's one thing that, like I said, I got so frustrated when they were like, you know, yes, your parents can do this. I'm like, really? So, but anyway, I'll let you get back. (laughs) So that's good news. Now, if uh, our business owners, listeners have a second property or an investment property that's not part of the business, then that would have to be reported on Mm -hmm. the FAFSA application. The other thing that is not reported on the FAFSA is the... Uh, value of your retirement account that is an official uh, retirement vehicle. One of the things that um, I see a lot families get caught is that they save money for college, but it's not in a formal savings uh, vehicle um, that's allowed by the IRS, nor is the savings in an official retirement plan. So if families have just cash in the bank, they will have to report that cash on the date that they complete the FAFSA. So families will say, well, I have this second home that I'm going to sell and that cash will be used for college. Well, that that asset, that, that second home would be counted. But you don't count your business of less than 100 employees, the home equity on your private residence, and your official retirement account. Mm-hmm. So much to know, you know, again. And yes, I there guess- is a lot. And having some financial assistance where, you know, again, because this does feel overwhelming, knowing what to put or what not to put. And I do remember the first year I was, you know, kind of panicked. So I actually had help, you know, filling it out. And then after we'd gone through it once, I knew, like, this is what you have to do. And I I was able to do it myself after that. But I did feel more comfortable the first year actually having someone walk me through Mm -hmm. that process. So we talked about the. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the FAFSA over time has gotten a lot easier. Um, both parents and students do need to provide their information, but student and parent don't even have to be in the same room to complete the form. And it is a, when you complete it online, which I highly recommend, you can also complete it on your phone. Uh, it's a smart form. So students don't need to answer every single question, only the questions that are applicable. So if you answer no, you don't need to answer the 10 questions below it if it's not applicable. So it has gotten easier over the years, but it is still very complicated. And I know for our business owners, there's a lot of questions that are always asked. Well, and what I was going to say is we had talked earlier about 529 savings plans to which you recommend, um, but do you recommend then like grandparents put it in their names or they save for their grandchildren, you know, are there any other tips regarding 529s that you would recommend? 
So I would recommend that when you're looking at a variety of 529 plans, you should start with your your state plan and or perhaps your uh, the organization that's managing your retirement. What you want to look for in a retirement plan is one that offers you the most options for growth and has the fewest amount of fees as well as, as flexibility in that if your son or daughter doesn't go to college and you can't use that funding for that particular student, it does transfer to other siblings. Mm, the, the grandparents can certainly set up a 529 plan, and if that's the case, then that asset wouldn't be counted on the FAFSA. That being said, once the distribution happens, that distribution would be counted as cash and would have to be reported by the student. So mm. certainly grandparents can set up the 529, and if that is the case, then I would recommend that they not distribute the funds to the student until after they've completed the FAFSA for the senior year in college. So they'd have to hold on to the asset so it wasn't reported on the FAFSA. So mm, I see. grandparents can save it's not reported, but there is a huge cash disadvantage to the student in that assets or the cash that's distributed is assessed at 20%. The other thing that's really important is depending on how you cash out the 529, it could impact your eligibility for the American Opportunity Tax Credit. So I would mm-hmm. encourage any listener to talk to their financial planner and their tax advisor to make sure that they're saving well, saving smartly, and distributing smartly as well. Yes, and I always recommend that to business owners, not just, you know, on other issues. Like I always say, talk to your CPA before the end of the year too, before you make a big decision on something too, if you're buying equipment now or save it late. You know, there's always these topics. I always say, talk to them before the end of the year. Same thing with for this topic, right? If you're going to be yeah, planning for yeah. financial aid, really talk to somebody and, you know, Make sure you know exactly, you know, what you're doing. So, Yes, and, and again, uh, so, it has to be done three to four years before the senior year in high school. Right. So I have another quick question for you, too. Um, say someone has already gone to school and they need help paying off anything. Like, what advice do you have for things that they can do to pay off that debt? So there are, um, first and foremost, we want to borrow only what they need. Let's not borrow anything more than um, they can afford to pay back. But Mm -hmm. there are uh, repayment options that are provided by the federal government. So go to studentloans.gov to look at the different repayment options. There are uh, forgiveness programs that are available by the federal government. I would not encourage any borrower to depend on our current government loan forgiveness programs. They are at risk. The eligibility is limited, and very few students in today's environment are able to participate in the student loan forgiveness program. So while there are student loan forgiveness programs, they are very, very limited. Um, One of the things that is important to note is that... um, Student loans do not fall into the bankruptcy protections, so students will always have to pay back their loans. Mm-hmm. Um, I would well, encourage uh, mm-hmm. grandparents to perhaps also, if they're not saving for actual college expenses, to help with student loan repayment after graduation. 
Okay. Well, it's all great information. This has been a great topic. Believe it or not, we're at the end of the show. So I wanted to see if you have an offer that you would like to share with the listeners. Again, there's so much information that we really couldn't cover at all. Super. So the financial aid formula online is a 12-hour program for parents and your listeners from any state in the United States. I have got... um, some amazing content outlining the strategies uh, from how to talk to your kids to paying back your financial aid. I'd like to offer this to your listeners for $497, and that comes with a 60-minute conversation with me before, during, or after the financial aid process or completing the course. But for your listeners, Candy, I'd like, like to offer one additional bonus to all of the workbooks, all of the the tips and information that I can provide as a 30-year veteran. If families sign up and provide you as how they found out about the financial aid formula, I will also offer each of your listeners a FAFSA walkthrough um, when it is time for them to actually complete the FAFSA in the senior year in high school. The financial aid formula, if the family signs up for it today, they will have access to it until their son or daughter graduates from college. But I want to give them the extra confidence that they're feeling filling out the FAFSA completely and accurately. So I will provide an extra walkthrough, which is not something that I would normally do as part of my normal program. Well, thank you for doing that because, like I said, I remember being overwhelmed. I'm sure there's plenty who feel the same way. So if someone wanted to reach you, how can they connect with you? So uh, my uh, website is thefinancialaidshop.com. My entire program is outlined on my website. Families can email me at Catherine at thefinancialaidshop.com or give me a call at 562-754-5351. And I encourage anyone who's feeling completely overwhelmed to reach out and get those resources. I'm sure they'll be extremely helpful for you. But thank you, Catherine, for being my guest today. I'm so thankful that you were able to share this information. I know we were trying to cram a lot of information into this hour, uh, but thank you so much. You're welcome. I've had a good time. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Well, and I want to thank the listener, too. I'm glad you guys were tuning in. I hope you found this topic interesting and it answered some of the questions on what you can do to prepare for financial aid to alleviate the cost of college. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Catherine at any of the links that she shared, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. Next week's topic is your credit score and its impact on your getting a loan. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.